sourcing for innovation, making sense of the rapidly changing worlds of artificial intelligence, workforce development, and digital transformation. Sourcing for Innovation, episode 21. My name is Adam Curtis, your host again, joined today by Elliot Pearson, Catalyte's VP of Technical Development. Good morning, Elliot. How are you? Hello, I'm good. I'm very good today. Today, we're going to try to figure out what an apprentice is. Not an easy or small task. We'll see if we can get through it in about 20, 25 minutes as the definition has evolved and how Catalyte has a very specific take on this. So, just for a little bit of background for those who are listening who might not know, apprentices really started out in the Middle Ages as what we would maybe think of as like vocational education. Um, as cities expanded, you needed more people to build stuff. Where are you going to go get that training? Well, you are going to go train with someone. You're going to be their apprentice. Another part of that was parents not exactly having the money to pay for education or to pay for the food for their 12 kids. So let's get this person out of the house. Let's teach them a trade and have that master craftsman really sort of take over their training, their room, their board, et cetera. So if you fast forward, like even some of our founding fathers, George Washington was an apprentice. We had Thomas, uh, not Thomas Jefferson, excuse me, Ben Franklin was a printing apprentice, Paul Revere, Silversmith. So this is something that's really in the history and the fabric of the United States. Fast forward to today, I think many people, Elliot, would still have that same connotation in mind. If you say apprentices, you know, the first thing that pop into your mind would be what? Yeah, I really think it's the the real like definition. If you look in the dictionary, it's really a person that has. Uh, that's learning a trade and they're agreeing to work for a period of time at a lower wage. And that's really the essence of you're taking a period of time to say, I really don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going to focus and go through a period and then I'm going to come out with some expertise. And that's really the classic definition that I think of when I think of apprentice. And the word you said there was trade, which I think is what has been the most evolutionary, at least in the last 10 to 15 years. So trade, again, but you think plumbing, maybe electricity, going back to their silversmithing. I don't know any silversmiths now, but I'm assuming it's still a trade. But what are these new trades now that apprenticeships can be applied to? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, So when we start thinking about uh, the trade of some type of exchange of value, I think when you're solving problems, that is actually a form of trade. And for us, being software developers, that is our actual trade. We are actually trading the value of, you want us to build something, we can build it for you. And that's some of the new kind of higher tech, you know, I would say, uh, trade. When you you think of trade, it's really, you know, things that you can do to uh, exchange value in this new digital age that we're in. Because you still are building. You are crafting, you are composing, you are whatever word you want to use, except maybe you're using your hands now not to form metal, but on a keyboard to form code. So it's just, it's an updated definition of trade and something that I think is taking people a little while to really wrap their heads around this idea that software development is a trade, right? Is is that a hurdle that you see people getting over? Yeah, yeah, that's a good, that's a really good point. Um, I, I think when you kind of think of trade and uh, you kind of think of these kind of classic uh, ex- examples that we've had in the past, and I think, you know, we haven't really done a great job of educating everyone to get up to that point. But I think as you kind of sit down and kind of think about it, I think a lot of people will get it, but I don't know if people are taking the time to kind of sit down and think about it that way. So we have apprentices in 2020 still being 
trades, folks. Those trades can now be of the digital variety, software, IT, technical, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, one of the benefits, as I mentioned, of sort of apprentices historically was a, a shared burden. You are, as a person, maybe taking a little bit of a, a step back in terms of your immediate earning potential in order to have a longer-term return. You have the employer taking a step back and having to provide some sort of material benefit to the employee in order for a long-term return. Do those things still stand up with the now updated definition of apprentices to include something like software development? Yes, it does. Uh, for the simple fact that um, you talked about a very important thing of a commitment of time. You not only have an a commitment of time of this person that is going through some apprenticeship, you also have the employer because you're actually taking on someone uh, where you can say like, hey, I need someone that is already skilled or I can go with someone that's unskilled, knowing that over time that I may get more out of that person because of the investment I made in them. So it really is a trade-off. And so, yes, it's a commitment on both. I, I think of this as like the NBA draft. The person who goes number one overall might not have the best skills today, but they have the greatest potential in the future. I mean, that's what most uh, people in the NBA, like all of the scouts are trying to do. <laughs> I don't know how successful they are, but yes, you're right. That, that is the general idea. So apprentices are coming in and we're talking here about basically entry level or new software developers. Is that correct? Yes. So is there a difference then between how you would categorize someone as a software development apprentice and a entry-level software developer. Where on the Venn diagram do those two ideas, definitions overlap and where do they diverge? Yeah, uh, so I, I think when you kind of look at the industry, um, most people, when they're trying to source talent, they're actually looking for classically what we call entry-level developers. And they normally come from a couple places, you know, universities, uh, boot camps, some people are... Uh, uh, self-taught. Um, the idea is that you have someone that kind of understands the mechanics, uh, but they don't really, um, they, they, they haven't had a lot of experience to be able to like really say, I can throw anything at them. So when we talk about an apprentice, it's a little bit different because uh, it's really this idea of having someone that is very similar to someone that is at an entry level phase, but you also have a pathway for them to grow into being very competent. And I think most people are looking at this whole idea of entry level of, you know, I just have somebody that hopefully they get to a point of being successful, um, but apprenticeships are a little bit more structured. So the entry level person comes in, they have some pedigree or some, I don't want to say a certificate because that could get into some other connotations, but a, a diploma or something that says, listen, I have some skills in this, hire me, I'll be good. The apprentice comes in and says, hey, I have the ability to do this, um, teach me, and I'm going to work with you in this structured environment, and I'm going to build up that skill set while providing you the employer value. Yes, yes, you, you nailed it. That, that's exactly what's happening. Um, I, I think the, the one thing that's interesting is really this whole idea of having a piece of paper that says you know what you're doing. And, you know, it, I have it, four in front of me. I'm not sure if this <laughs> tells me I know what I'm doing, but yes. Yeah, it, I mean, sometimes it works, but it really isn't super accurate as, as far as if you want to ask the question of, is this person going to be uh, someone that has a career in this field? And, you know, career may be super long, maybe super short, but uh, can that person perform at a level that people 
find value in what they do and they're willing to pay for it. And so uh, that's kind of, you know, it's it's weird where you say, I have a piece of paper to do that. So Well, that piece of paper, I think, in the minds of most employers is some sort of almost a risk mitigation strategy. Like, okay, I can I can trust that they came out of Harvard or, you know, NC State or wherever, and I can trust that those people are giving me someone who's going to be able to do the job. But that's not necessarily the case. I mean, I, I went to college. You went to college. There are a lot of smart people. There are a lot of people who are like, excuse me, how did you pass this class? Like, what is, who do you, who do you know? Who do your parents know sort of thing? So the, the risk seems less, but I think conceptually, if you explain it, the apprenticeship level, the risk is either the same or less because you're coming in with somebody who you, again, you don't know how they're going to succeed. You don't know how that college grad is going to succeed, but there is more structure around that apprenticeship environment program so that you have greater control over the outcome. Is that fair? Yeah, it's very fair. Uh, yeah, because we're here, we, we measure, and we'll get into it, um, but we measure along the way. But we do have a defined set of criteria that we want an apprentice to go through, and we try to make it as consistent as possible, as opposed to, you know, take this course, take that course. Um, so, yeah, we we feel that we would have, like, a higher chance of success because our apprenticeship is, is structured. But you're right. So, so let's jump into that. So yep. Catalyte's apprenticeship program um, is part of the, the Odyssey platform. Um, walk us through a journey of somebody joining the apprenticeship program from, let's say, the moment they, they hear the name Catalyte to whatever the ultimate outcome is. Yes. Uh, so uh, we have different channels that uh, people find us. Um, it doesn't really matter what channel you, you come through. Uh, we you will come to our website and take an assessment. It's not a test. It's completely an assessment. And we will... Uh, Put a person through this assessment, um, take it at their own pace, it takes about two hours, um, an hour and a half if you're fast, and we are able to look at the way you answer the questions, and we come up with a lot of data points, hundreds of data points. And what we can do with all of those data points is that we can determine a couple things. Uh, the first thing is that you actually have the ability to be a programmer. You can learn the mechanics of being a programmer. Uh, we also can, uh, we have like a very strong signal that we come, that comes out of the data that says that you will go through this very, very long period of time of an apprenticeship and be very successful. And so that's kind of the first phase. And so uh, that's kind of how we discover people. And I'm going to go through all of these. These are what we are, are pillars of sure. the Odyssey <laughs> platform. So after that, after you go through this assessment and we have this, these strong signals to say, yes, you're going to be successful, uh, we will have reach out to you, have a conversation, and talk about the next uh, 29 months. Because when we think about it, uh, the 29 months is broken up into two chunks. Uh, the first chunk is training, which is five months. Uh, it's really, on average, it's five months. It's really at your own pace. You come into one of our centers and uh, you're learning the mechanics of programming. Uh, you're also getting placed in team environments. And uh, basically what we're trying to do is give you the fundamentals of being a software developer. After you get through that period of time, uh, that training period, you graduate and then you become a Catalyte employee. Uh, and at that time, you are with Catalyte for two years and you go through this apprenticeship period. And after you do training, we will start you on this, uh, this journey. We actually call it a developer journey. And that's really the formal apprenticeship for you to become a very competent, uh, very like highly performant software developer. Meaning that after your apprenticeship period, 
you can go to any company. We have someone that has come from Catalyte and someone that's come from like Stanford or anywhere else, and you are performing the same. And people can look at you and they wouldn't know the difference. And that's really what that whole journey is. So it's it's two years. Does the background of the person coming in matter? Meaning, can you come in as a total um, sort of <laughs> a total greenfield specimen? That's a terrible way to put it. But coming in with like, you know what? I've I've heard of CSS. I, I've heard of HTML. I've heard of you know JavaScript. Not quite sure what I'm doing with them. Or do you need to come in being like, here's the app that I created in high school in, in my free time? Yeah. So I, I kind of like uh, I look at it. I, mean, I got a great example. Um, it's really the question of do I need to understand anything about programming to be successful? And the answer is no. We have had people that have had no experience. And I just talked to them like uh, a couple days ago, had zero experience. They were like, hey, I was working at this location and like I didn't know any of the me mechanics. And they are tracking to be a really, really great software uh, front-end developer. And so like, no, you don't, you don't need any of those things to be successful here. And during that five months, you're being trained. Is there... You said it in a team-based environment. Is is that ability to work with others sort of a critical piece in this, along with the technical skills, or is that just because most of them are going to be graduating into an agile team environment anyway? So let's get them used to that during the training process. Yeah, it's a little bit of both, but um, it's very important because companies nowadays they actually need team players. Um, you could go on your own, learn how to program, and build a bunch of applications. But unless you're working in the context of a team, uh, that's you're really not getting an experience of how people operate. And so that's very important to start that in your training, but also that gets reinforced in the cycle. I'm, I'm sorry, post-cycle, because uh, when you're placed, uh, you're actually working in a team environment. So those five months, is there an equivalent you can give in terms of uh, again, if I was holding out this piece of paper saying I had a, a two-year you know, associate's degree, four-year degree, is there an approximation? Um, I would say uh, I would think the closer approximation is really uh, some of the boot camps that you see. Uh, it's that same teach you the mechanics. Um, as far as kind of like the two or four-year degrees, um, I'm not really sure. <laughs> I think I probably would have to look at it a little bit more. Um, I think we have some schools of thought, but um, I would say it's on the order of maybe a year or two of experience uh, of really being in a, a software like like either computer science or software engineering curriculum sure so you're so you're coming in then to the the, the real world with um, the same sort of background as someone who could be hired in under sort of an unstructured entry level position yes. elsewhere so you're then coming into this structured two-year program during that time what is the extra sauce of the apprenticeship in terms of continuing training mentoring it can't just be sort of ad hoc because that doesn't really fit in with the whole apprenticeship mindset right yes and uh that's that's a really good question um i think the difference is that it's really about coaching versus versus mentoring okay a lot of places have mentoring programs and mentoring is great for us like we have a lot of experience in our careers uh we could talk to our colleagues and say we're kind of thinking about this and we can get some ideas and we're kind of self-starters we actually know a lot and we can you know operate on a lot of advice that comes from mentorship but when you talk about someone that doesn't really know what they don't know, they need something that is a lot more structured. Uh, when you look at why like a Tom Brady or any like famous uh, like football player, why they're so successful, it's really because of coaching. And it's really because of precision coaching. And that's what you get. It's like, okay, you want to be a better kicker. 
Like you'll actually have a coach that will teach you how to be a better kicker. So our secret sauce is that we actually have uh, an individual that works with an apprentice uh, called a journey coach, and they're actually working on those positive outcomes that you have to master to be a great software developer. And that's done through precision coaching. And so it's a real big commitment, but that's how we make sure that people are super successful at the end of their journey. So you set up the system in order to ensure success. It's not just, okay, because we have Sorry, take a step back here. So the system sets up for success, unlike mentoring, where if you get paired with a mentor who may not be into the whole thing or you just don't jive with them, you don't have the same sort of outlook on how you should advance your career, or what skills you need, then that sort of falls apart because there's no formal structure around it, right? Yeah, and, and, and it's mentoring is great. Uh, it's just that um, it's effective in certain scenarios. Uh, when you have somebody that is very new to a career, uh, you structure is, is a lot better. You don't know even quite what mentoring questions to ask. Exactly. You, you don't have the experience to say, well, <laughs> I'm working on this, but how would this be different if I try to do X? Because right. you haven't done it yet. All right. So we have now an apprentice during their two-year um, developer journey. We have a prospective customer who's looking to you know, build out a, an application, work on their software platforms, et cetera, et cetera. What are the benefits to them to tapping into this sort of apprenticeship model rather than going out into the open market, doing recruiting, sending people out to colleges, to boot camps, to just hire an entry-level person that way to join their team? Yeah, yeah. So um, the one thing that I like about um, being able to say that I have a uh, like some application I'm building as a company and I want to be able to uh, source some talent from an external source uh, it's great to be able to pull someone in that I know that they have, you know, the mechanics of software development, um, but I also can give feedback to make them better or how they can actually grow in my environment. It's not too many places that you have that. A lot of times uh, you're kind of like traditional staffing is just kind of like filling seats and it's no development after that. With Catalyte, you do get that development and it's really based off the client's feedback. And we're having constant check-ins to make sure that that apprentice is growing properly. Is there also, and this might be a bit speculative, but a, a, a motivational factor? I mean, if you're an apprentice, this is something that you have purposefully sought out, made some major life commitment to the five months training, two years working for a particular company, you definitely made sacrifices for this. Do you see that motivation come through rather than someone who's like, all right, I just got hired in in two months. Someone else is going to poach me and peace. I'm going to get paid more extra someplace else. Yeah. Yeah. You, you do see a, a certain level of, of passion and a certain level of grit. Um, during the training cycle, uh, the apprentice, uh, they're it's a lot of things that's coming at them. It's things that they don't know about, and it's constantly changing. And so it takes a lot of patience and a lot of perseverance to get through that. And as an employer, you really want that. You want someone that will sit down and regardless of what's thrown in front of them, they're going to figure it out. And also, the one thing that we do reinforce, uh, not only throughout the training cycle, but also through the apprenticeship period, is really being humble and saying, I don't know. And if you don't know, figure out a way to you know, use your resources around you to get that answer. And that's very attractive from an employer. I want someone to like raise their hand and say, like, I don't get this or this is wrong. Like, that's very useful to me because then I can react to that. I mean, that's what 
again, going back to the sort of the, the medieval times there, that's what the, the quote-unquote master craftsman was there for. He, probably a he, let's be honest, back then probably not too many female silversmiths, but he is going to die someday. He needs someone to replace or to grow his business while he is still alive. Unless he invests in that apprentice, it's just going to go to the wayside. It's going to be a total waste of time on everyone's behalf. So to have that structure set up, again, you are investing in your people in order for better growth over time. And besides, you're not going to have people leave. You're not going to have to replace them and have all those costs associated with recruiting and um, just open positions. Um, So with that, sort of by the numbers here, so the the question I want to ask you is sort of where do apprentices fit into the overall tech, you know, talent sourcing or or hiring strategy, given that we have somewhere, depending on what numbers you look at, between 700,000 and over a million open IT tech jobs in the United States. Um, 87% of IT executives say that they can't find skilled tech professionals. Is this way of finding, uh, training, employing on an apprenticeship level a way in which to just sort of plug a hole in that talent gap or to actually fill that talent gap? Yes. Uh, um, ideally, we would like to fill that talent gap. That's that's the reason why we're all here. <laughs> um, so I, I think when you kind of look at from the perspective of uh, an, an employer or a client of ours, we are just um, another um, source for bringing in talent. And that's you know, how we want, you know, kind of our external customers to look at us. And uh, the great thing is that we want to be able to have you try our services versus other uh, sourcing services and then just measure. And whoever is more successful, just kind of, you know, focus on that. And for us, we want to be very reactive to make sure that, you know, if anything isn't working, we want to actually fix it. We want to make it better because we want to be able to scale to not only our current customers, but also all of all like all of our potential customers. And that's how we would like to fill that talent gap, because we truly believe and this is a premise of why this company got started, is that when you look at, you know, aptitude, we believe that it's distributed equally across any geographical area. But we don't believe opportunity is. So we want to be able to bridge that gap. And so our goal is to be able to to fill that talent gap. Yeah, that opportunity piece is big because you know, if you go by these numbers, CS graduates are not going to fill this gap. Like that's just a hard fact. So you're still going to have all these open positions. You're going to have to find these sources of talent from someplace else. This is a way in which you can find it from the the general populace. You know, there are people out there who are smart enough, good enough, skilled enough to do this, but because they don't have that sheet of paper. I mean, it just makes sense. You, unless you were, unless your dad was a blacksmith back in the day, how would you know that you were even going to go and become a blacksmith? Someone else is going to have to say, this is what you're going to do. Or in this case, people are raising their hands. We're not telling them to become software developers. But they are making that, that choice, that career change, mm-hmm. that um, sort of forward-looking um, you know, um, perspective that this is the growing part of the economy. Let me get in now when I can, e- even if I don't have to go to college to get that, that piece of paper. Yeah, you're right. It, the I mean, if you really look at the numbers, and uh, 
uh, and you look at the amount of CS grads, you can actually just draw two lines. You can look at the number of open jobs, like year over year, like tech jobs, and it, it's a very steep, <laughs> it's, it's linear, but yeah. it's very steep. And if you look at uh, the amount of like CS grads, it's, it's kind of like growing, but it's very, very small. It's, it's kind of like a parallel line. Yep. Um, and then if you kind of add in like the other opportunities of, you know, new inventory that comes from like, you know, outsourcing, like offshoring, it, it's still not, it, the gap just keeps on widening over time. But you're right, that that talent pool coming out of four-year universities are, is pretty much stagnant as far as growth-wise. So the benefits we've talked about for the sort of employers or the uh, clients, customers, you get a, a steady stream of great verified technology talent. They're there, they're growing, they're maturing along with it. You have a set um, set of guidelines for this growth. Um, it reduces costs, et cetera, et cetera. If I'm someone looking to get in and become a tech apprentice, like for me, what are the benefits of becoming, you know, part of a program like Catalytes versus, you know, you know, shucking down some hard cash to go to a boot camp or to try to get, you know, loans or grants or whatever else to to go back to school to actually study this and go the more quote unquote traditional route by submitting a resume and being hired as an entry level developer, et cetera. Yeah, great question. Um, so one thing that you get is really structure. Um, I know it's like I know really great software developers that have uh, had like degrees in like literature and it basically they learned on their own. And uh, the great thing is here you you do get the structure. We actually give you the tools you need that are very relevant to you know today's industry. When you also look at uh, that apprenticeship period, um, you actually have a blueprint of what it means to be successful. And that's what we're actually training against. We actually look at people that are very high performing and we say, okay, they do this, 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 this very well. And then that's what we actually will make sure that we work with an apprentice so that they master. And so you will go into the scenario or go into the situation knowing uh, if you put in the time and you follow the program, you have a very, very high chance of being successful. That's one difference than you know going other routes. It's almost like you are ordering the IKEA furniture, and you can either build it yourself, you can figure it out on your own. Uh, in this case, though, you're hiring the person to come and help you, and they're helping you build it. They're not doing it for you. They're helping you put this together. There's that idea that, okay, here's what you should look like. You're going to have to do some of the work, but we're going to guide you there. And because we are incentivized for you to succeed, we are going to make sure that you succeed. Yeah, you're right. And it's really a partnership here. Um, you know, I, I look at uh, some people that re recently came out of the cycle and I have certain people that are on client engagements, uh, some people that are working on our internal team teams, and we want to make sure that they're successful. And so it's really, you know, how do you solve that gap for me? It's by not only, you know, coming here every day and doing what I'm supposed to do, but also making sure other people are successful. Because the more people we actually get out into the field, uh, that's one less person uh, that's needed to sure. fill that gap. Historically, all of these trades that we talked about, I mean, you couldn't do them remotely. <laughs> there was no internet uh, back in George Washington's time. But now with all of these sort of remote communications tools, Slack, Dropbox, Google Drive, et cetera, et cetera, how much of this is remote or how much of it benefits from having someone sitting in the same room, office, team, table, whatever, to do that, that coaching, to do that training? Yeah. I would say initially when you're starting on 
like your journey, uh, being in person really helps because you can just kind of turn around and just say like, hey, I have a question. And it, it kind of breaks the barriers down for being able to solicit feedback. As you get further along and you're getting more experience, you can operate like anyone else that remote, like a remote worker. And so um, it's kind of like this transition you kind of go through where you want to kind of be in person, but you can grow to that remote uh, like placement. Got it. Yeah. Benefits to companies, clients, we've talked about. Benefits to apprentices themselves, we just discussed. What are some other tangential benefits then to sort of local communities or governments or you know, local economies for an apprenticeship program? Is it a way in which communities can come together for workforce economic development? Or is this something that is probably the impacts felt just within an individual or maybe a, a family unit? Yeah, no, uh, the, the, I guess one of the kind of uh, things where you kind of think about it and you look at it, you go, oh, wow, I, I never really kind of thought how simple this is. Uh, one thing is that when you look at, uh, I would say, uh, when you look at like, I want to have a bigger tax base as a, as a community or like as a city, um, how can you do that? If you actually take people that are in, you know, maybe they aren't employed or they don't have uh, like or they're underemployed and you can actually transform them into being like a software developer or someone that's operating in a tech field. That is a huge economic impact because, uh, you know, you look at. Uh, some of our data, we actually have people that kind of go in our program and they are, before they go into our program, they're making like $25,000 a year. And then after five years of like being in our program, going through our apprenticeship, graduating, they're making close to six figures. And so if you do that for a hundred, a thousand, 5,000 people, that's a huge economic impact because you have such a bigger tax base and so much more uh, money that's actually flowing in those local economies. And the real uh, crazy thing is that all you have to do is just make an, a commitment to that talent and say, like, you know, hey, I want to be able to, like, source people locally. And, you know, local companies can do it. Local governments can do it. And they can partner with organizations like us to, to do that and find that talent. And so the great thing about that is, is that when you give people opportunities where they live, they don't have to move. And it's great that we have that in this country. We've always had that this idea of being able to say, like, it's no opportunities here. I can go there. But a lot then of we people in the Pacific Ocean and it stopped. <laughs> yes. Yes. But a lot of people would love to grow up and go to school in the local area and, you know, say, like, hey, I want to buy a home here and I want to work here and I want to have a high paying yeah. job. And that's not just happening in, in, in huge metropolitan areas. That's happening throughout the country. And the great thing about our model, we can do that anywhere. We just need people to partner with us to do that. That's really what we're trying to solve. That's the that's the the essence of the problem. And it's really it's very easy to do at a local level. You just have to make that commitment. Is that going to happen? And if so, what are some of the triggers to get more people on board? Or if not, what are some of those barriers? that are going to keep the industry at large from evolving either on a practical or a sort of um, theoretical basis when it comes to apprenticeships? Yeah, I, I, I'm going to, that, that's, a, that's a couple in a very good question. We can do a whole other podcast on that, I'm sure. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, so I would say um, the great thing about a model like Catalyze model is that it's very easy to test. As a company, you know, go and just try to get maybe two or three of our 
uh, apprentice and then test it out and see if it works. And I think that when we have more and more people test, it actually kind of has like this network effect because um, you look at it and more people are aware of catalytes and they are aware of the success, then it makes it very easier for traditional employers to look at kind of like their job descriptions and go, okay, that one line that says like four-year degree, let me just get rid of that because I see these people that are performing. And so I kind of feel like that's how we're going to have like this evolution of more and more people will find out that people come from different paths than just like a four-year university and two-year university, and they're very successful. And do we really need to have that on our criteria for us bringing in people? And also our model of being able to kind of try before you buy. This is a very, very long test period when we actually place an apprentice with a client. Basically, you have like a year-long interview. And that's actually like when you kind of tell people that they're like, oh, wow, I didn't think about it. And, you know, that's very, very like powerful. And I think as we start to get more people aware of that, that will allow just things to change from an industry perspective. Elliot Pearson, VP of Technical Development here at Catalyte. Thank you for talking apprentices today. I'm just glad that you and I didn't have to go through the Silversmith program back in the day. (laughs) Yes, me too. Thank you. Thanks for having me.